Hey, ¿qué pasa, Calexico? Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, before we begin today, I want to thank my sponsors, my anchor sponsors, who are my homies from Les Pichos, um, Jake, Sergio, and Jonathan. Also, I want to thank David Gastelum. If you're looking to buy or, sell, or selling a home, make sure you contact David Gastelum at, let me, let me look for his number. There's his number somewhere here. Uh, his number is 235-760-235-9576. So give him a call if you're looking for a house in the Imperial and San Diego counties. Um, today's guest is a multi-talented girl. She wears a ha many hats. She's an author. She's a, an activist. She is a professor uh, and an author, believe it or not. Um, Ms. Carla Cordero, thank you for being here today. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I mean, I was telling Carla uh, earlier that, you know, I ran into her because of Instagram. You know, I clicked on the Calexico, hashtag Calexico, and I ran into her and then I started, you know, going through her stuff. Sometimes I feel like a creep because I feel like I know these people because of their <laughs> Instagram or their stories. And, and it's just my way to kind of like um, find, you know, local talent and, and, and you know, sure. you know, discover all these, you know, gems that are out here that... People really might not know because I feel that here in the Valley, we're a little bit behind when it comes to like the technology, whether, right. it's, whether it's podcasting or, you know, social media. We might use social media the, in, for the wrong reasons, like for the cheesemas and whatnot. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to like use it for, for you know, a, a better use, like, you know, finding local talent, um, supporting local talent mainly. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I know you're a Calexico native. Yes, born and raised. Well, Raised in Calexico, uh, born in El Centro. Um, I always like to start off with, I am the daughter of Yolanda Garcia Cordero and the daughter of Alfonso Gerardo Cordero, um, the descendants of my people from uh, northern parts of Mexico, from the indigenous folks of, the, which is the tribe that's called um, Chichimeca, um, Maria Luisa, um, and the Spaniard that she married into uh, named uh, Rafael Luis. So I, I love to start grounding myself with like the ancestors and uh, my familia, um, as those are kind of the bloodstreams and the histories of where, um, you know, my upbringings and my identity and so forth. Um, but to ground it more to like of a landscape, uh, raised in Calexico uh, my whole life uh, till the age of 18, and then made the decision to access education outside of the Imperial Valley. Um, and then continued on with uh, my academic journey in San Diego. And um, and here I am now <laughs> on a podcast with you um, all the way from Carlsbad, California, which is about two and a half hours from Calexico. Yeah. Um, it's crazy that we could do this, you know, through the magic of technology right i know i love it great. <laughs> um yeah and and uh, the funny thing is that you know i kind of like i said i kind of feel like i know carla but this is the first time we actually like kind of met and i guess you get yeah. like in person you know we've been talking on, on instagram back to back and forth um because we're, we've been trying to schedule this but yeah i, I mean I've, I've usually um um this weekend i saw this guy he's like oh i listened to your podcast and 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 you know you interview people that i have no idea who they are but they have a lot of good information mm -hmm. and you kind of like ask like really good questions and you know i tell them like you know what a lot of people think that you know i just go in and, and start interviewing people like willy-nilly but i do my research you know I, I really like try to to uh, come up with really good questions to you know you know have a flow of conversation so you know that's why i, I feel like i kind of like know the people that i kind of interview um yeah. and um uh going back to what you know the things that you do you're a poet um, which is mainly you know one of the you know biggest things you've you've do, you're doing right now because you know um i'll get into um uh one, some of the things that are happening right now but i'll get into that right now but i, I just want to ask you like have you ever have you always been like this um creative like were you always like into writing or is it just something that later age or when you went to college what, how, how do you get into um the writing part sure um I would have to say creativity was inherited, uh, was an inheritance early on. Um, my father was a manager of a hardware store uh, called Imperial Hardware. 
Um, and my mother was part of a family business uh, called Garcia Foods. Okay. And so, yeah, and so these were two spaces that had an abundance of freedom in creating worlds and um, having wild imaginations. And so those were spaces where me and my sisters uh, would go very often, and my parents would just call that daycare <laughs> while they were working. Um, so being in those spaces gave us the freedom to just play. Um, home, since, you know, the Imperial Valley is very desert, um, agricultural-based. Uh, one of the other things that my parents always encouraged regarding creativity is, like, the idea of using the earth um, as canvas. And so they, my father would always bring, like, seeds back from the hardware store, or I'd get some frijoles from the cupboard and, like, break the earth and work the clay um, in our backyards, and um, I love the creativity of growing stuff. Um, so I think primarily my first uh, calling of artist is, you know, uh, making things from the earth. I love growing my own food, um, love seeing a flower blossom. Uh, so I would just say the creativity at a very young age is like growth, um, and having my parents always give me, you know, paint, chalk, uh, construction paper. I mean, we had to be very creative, uh, considering the limitations and access of the arts and cultura uh, that was available in Calexico. And so um, I can recall taking construction paper and cutting snowflakes uh, in the living room and then tacking them outside on the walls because we had no access to what snow looked like. Yeah. You know? uh, so, yeah, creativity has always been embedded uh, my whole life. I think the creativity as like poet or poesia, you know, came in later on when I was working on my uh, undergraduate work at uh, Cal State San Marcos. Uh, when I was taking a literature class and various professors have been encouraging me to take uh, creative writing courses because they had seen potential in the stories mm -hmm. um, and the kind of folks that were being birthed into like visibility and the, the narrations I had been telling. Um, and then from there, the education system played a huge role in kind of resurrecting this, the, the, the poetess, I guess one could say. Um, but yeah, I do photography, uh, write poetry, short stories, growth stuff. Uh, I love making things. So I would say it's been there since the moment of birth. Yeah. I, and what about, um, you know, the, 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 the sense of, um, you know, your culture, like the sense of, you know, being... Um, um, would, would you consider yourself a Chicana or what's your, what, what, what would you consider yourself, um, you know, your nationality or, or, or like, how do you identify yourself? Sure. Um, you know, it's, that's an important question, but it's a really, really complicated question to ask. Right. Uh, so when I understood the complexity of that question was through a poem by an amazing, uh, poet who was also my mentor, his name is Willy Perdomo. And he wrote a poem called, where I believe it's called, Where I'm From. And someone questions him, a, a female character questions the speaker, where are you from? And it's not a quick answer regarding his identity. It is this expanded answer of the complexity and the intersectionality of one's identity. Uh, so I would say, you know, there is a layering to how I identify and know that the titles I give you are very limiting in understanding. Uh, but I think growing up in the Imperial Valley, I was always like Mexican or Latina or, you know, the, the pocha Latina. Um, but I had always been surrounded by 98% folks that identified as like border child or that lived in Mexicali or that grew up in the Imperial Valley, so the majority were always like Spanish-speaking, Mexican, um, indigenous. But when I moved up to San Diego, I, I, I would argue that my identity had shifted with this idea of understanding Chicana, and Chicana as a state of consciousness and a reclamation of what it means to be female, what it means to reinstate oneself in a position of empowerment where you've been raised across not only a literal uh, but a metaphorical border and acknowledging the oppressions and the celebrations of what those identities carry and understanding the complexities of what it means 
who embody all of that at the same time. Um, and I can go on and on and on, you know, yeah. feeling like the identity of self, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one can go across religion, the multiplicity of the languages we possess in our tongue, mm-hmm. uh, femininity, gender, and so forth. But I'm going to just lay that groundwork for now as like the basis <laughs> yeah, of like I mean, what even, I identify Even that, I like kind of blew my mind. But I mean, because um, last week I spoke to um, Roberto Pozos. He's, a, he's an artist from Calexico and he's also, he's based in, in San Diego. And mm-hmm. I asked him the same question, and um, yeah, he kind of you know give give me a shorter answer, which is you know, kind of like a state of mind of you know you know identifying as a Chicano or not. And then I I sent my um, a coworker who was a Chicano studies teacher at the Calexico High School, and I sent them the the podcast. He's like, you know what, you know, you know that guy, you know, said what I'm teaching my kids. You know, he's he's he kind of like regurgitated everything I'm I'm trying to teach my kids. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So you know, you're you guys are in the same track, you know. Um, so, so it's it's, it's kind of cool that because um, what I was telling Roberto last week was that to me, um, not that I can't, I don't identify myself as something, but living here in Calexico, kind of like uh, we're in this limbo where like we really don't, mm-hmm. we really don't experience like the, um, we don't. I, I guess since we don't really need to, we don't go beyond you know the you know mm-hmm. we're just here you know we're, right so like if we if we if we want to have a taco we go to mexicali we're gonna have a mm-hmm. burger you know we'll just stay here like it's it's that limbo like we really don't identify as as a, as something so it's kind of yeah. like and he, and roberto said this kind of same the same thing like it took him um you know having to move uh to a bigger city to kind of like understand where or 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 have that feeling of being um, outcasted or, 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 you know, not being, uh, in your comfort zone as, you know, Mexican culture. So. Um, right. There's definitely a level like a, a level of comfort thing in the Imperial Valley. Not that that's a bad thing, but it really doesn't push you into a position where you kind of question like where you fit in all of this because you've always fit, you know, uh, in some way. Uh, but definitely when you move out of the Imperial Valley, your, your body and your identity um, based on, you know, who you are gets gets questioned in various ways. And so now, as an individual, you're kind of reaching for a lexicon of language on how, how to label that yourself when you're just like, oh, I'm just like a kid from Calexico, you know? And they're like, well, where's that at? Mm-hmm. And that's where the complexity happens, where you're like, you don't know where that's at, you know? And so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I tell people like we're kind of like San Isidro, but smaller, <laughs> <laughs> way smaller. Yeah, definitely way smaller. Um. So, <clears throat> sorry. So, um, you're a professor now, are yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm not gonna ask your your age because my mom taught me a very young age not to ask a woman, right? <laughs> but I know you're you're young because you're a little a couple years younger than I am, and yeah. I feel like I'm a young person myself. But, um, you know. So you went through, um, did you graduate from San Diego State or? Oh, you- great question. Um, so when figuring out the, the journey of what I wanted to do uh, with a career, um, I was still kind of figuring things out. And I went first to Palomar College, which is a community college in San Marcos, uh, California. So I journeyed through there and got my AA in social behavioral sciences. And then transferred and got my bachelor's at Cal State San Marcos in liberal studies with an emphasis in literature and writing. And then pursued my master's in fine arts uh, with an emphasis in poetry. And um, a lot of my research base uh, work was on like trauma and healing and coping mechanisms through poetic aesthetics, um, through, I guess for individuals or communities of historically underrepresented folks who have encountered these kinds of traumas and how poetry can access, again, uh, healing and, and, and um, uh, liberation, right? And so that was kind of the journey of uh, what I went through uh, in accessing like education and then trying to figure out a career in that. Um, uh, a master's in fine arts is a terminal degree, which allows you to then teach at the university and community college level. So um, I was really blessed to kind of uh, get through all my education and then go immediately into uh, teaching at uh, San Diego State University for about two years. Oh, wow. That's crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you're where people are like, "What? You're a professor? <laughs> like you're a young person?" Were they taking oh, back? Yeah. Oh yeah. Anytime I walk in the first day of class, my students are always being punked. They're like, "This is a professor." I go, "Yep, I'm a professor." And they're like, "How old are you?" I go, "Is that what you you know?" Um, so it's always a really fun. I always enjoy the first day of class because we have these stigmas and assumptions uh, or stereotypes of what your professor looks like, this older person that possesses all this wisdom and knowledge. Uh, but in reality, you know, that's ageism at full effect. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up, I grew up watching Doogie Howser, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> young, young. So, um, you're um, also a uh, editor for Spit Journal. Yes. So what can you tell us a little bit about what Spit Journal is? Sure. So Spit Journal manifested. Um, in, so when I moved up to San Diego, uh, when I was doing my undergraduate work, uh, one of my professors had encouraged me to, or encouraged the class as a project, to go out into the community and to see what folks were doing with literature. So I, I recall it being just this laborious, unwanted task. Uh, but I had seen a flyer that said uh, a poetry slam in Encinitas over by Del Mar. So I attended and I was visualizing like a bunch of white dudes, you know, <laughs> spitting Shakespearean sonnets. Uh, and I was just ready to get this assignment done and over with. I was like, cool, let's do this. Uh, but when I went, it was this friendly comp competition uh, through poetry where a bunch of amazing poets that looked like me were spitting poems in three minutes or less about like where they're from, uh, the celebration of self, the challenges they face with their identity, uh, speaking of visibility into their communities. And so I remember seeing the event and I was completely blown away. I was laughing and I was crying. And I knew by the end of the event, I was like, I want to figure out how to do that. Like, that that looks interesting. Uh, it, it was just so empowering that I needed to figure out how to do that. So um, I went about my way on writing my own little poems and trying to figure out how to replicate um, that same platform, that same power. Um, and lot, lots of different things, interventions happening along the way. Um, I eventually found out that San Diego is has an underground following for spoken word poetry. So San Diego always sends out a team of five poets to go compete at what's called the National Poetry Slam, which is no longer um, a competition. There are different competitions that exist now mm -hmm. uh, for, for other reasons, but um, I went ahead and tried out and made the team, and I was the first uh, Chicana, the first female to ever represent uh, the team uh, especially coming out of the Imperial Valley uh, and with the stories of uh, what it means to be a migrant, what it means to be undocumented, what it means to be uh, from Calexico. And so in 2013, uh, I represented uh, my city in San Diego and we went to nationals at Boston where we competed against uh, 75 teams across the nation. And we came in fourth. Um, and that was the first time, or one of the first times, uh, San Diego had made final stage. A final stage meaning uh, the top, I believe it's the top five teams, if I recall correctly, to kind of battle it out through these competitions. Uh, the way the scoring goes is from, they, they select five random judges, uh, and this is to kind of provide a reclamation for poetry in the hands of the community, where then they score your poem from a zero to ten, They'll then remove the highest and lowest score, and the three middle scores are going to be the poet's uh, initial score for the poem. There are also group pieces where poets, uh, plural, can perform a poem on stage and so forth. Mm. And so when I had gone to Boston, I had met all of my heroes that I had seen on YouTube uh, spitting poems that were amazing. And I remember being in the elevator with uh, a poet I had loved uh, for so long. He was from New York. And we both ended up in the elevator together. And I was starstruck. And I was like, okay, say something, say something. <laughs> and I was like, hi, I love your work. And he was like, dope, dope, thank you. And he goes, you know, I want you to know that I'm a superstar here. But when I go back home, I'm a janitor cleaning bathrooms. Uh -huh. 
And I was like, oh, my God, like that, that really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. So when I returned back, back to San Diego and I was then working in the education system, I wanted to bridge a platform for that community of folks, for the poet who hasn't had the eyes of appreciation beyond that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to create a platform where we could celebrate poets from all over the country um, and inform, uh, you know, a wider audience about the really exciting things that they're doing in their community or the new book that's out or having really intimate interviews uh, with these folks and having that accessible. Um, An extra layer to that is, um, and this is all coming out of on Spit Journal. And spit journal mainly, meaning um, in the community when you're about to do a poem, to like spit your truth, like do you. And so I wanted to kind of keep the colloquialism of our community with this idea of like spit journal where we are, you know, spitting and baptizing you and the truth of poetry and performance and social justice and cultural competency and diversity. So uh, spit journal um, archives a lot of those stories um, and interviews. In addition, um, I'm also... We're doing short interview snippets that now focus pedagogy, teaching methods that we can integrate into the classroom. How can we use the power of performance, poetry, and spoken word in the classroom uh, to empower our students and to allow them to kind of uh, engage with their voices if they haven't had the opportunity to do so. So um, essentially, Spit Journal now exists as a platform available to anybody and everybody Um, a platform for artists to contact us and we can proceed with interviews um, and for educators who are looking for uh, ways on how to integrate the art form into the classroom. That's cool. That's cool. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of, a lot of times, like you said, well, I mean, it's a good way to, to, um, you know, give these people a platform to, Mm -hmm. and then at the same time, you know, uh, community, community of educators to, you know, have somewhere to reach out and, and, you know, um exchange ideas as to how to um you know implement things kind of these kind of things into the classroom and that's uh, pretty cool absolutely. yeah um oh, i, I kind of skip over but um you want the um diversity award uh for san diego state right yes i did and can you tell us a little bit about what that award is and how you know how did it come about to you know you winning it absolutely um I cannot recall the year I won it, but I know I was still working on my master's. Um, And so while you're working on your master's at San Diego State, they give you the option of while you are working on your master's, if you want to do a teaching track. And so teaching track means taking uh, courses that are pedagogy focused and uh, they can throw you into a classroom and they're like, here are your students, teach uh, rhetoric and writing 100. So in creating curriculum for teaching students, I wanted to implement what's called student service learning, student service learning being where students are taking theory into practice and contributing that back into the community. And I wanted to do that with performance, poetry, and spoken words since that was something that really transformed my life in knowing the power of language and what words can do. So I created a... um, a, show, a spoken word showcase, which is called Voice for Change. It's a spoken word showcase where we invite nationally award-winning spoken word artists to perform their narratives on survival, celebration of diversity, cultural competency. And so since I had gone to nationals uh, for the, the team uh, when we went to go compete, I had made these connections with all these amazing artists from across the country. So then, since I'm now teaching, I had access to funds to bring these folks onto campus and available to the community. So the way it would work is we would teach, I would teach curriculum in the classroom that was either poetry, social justice focused, or a novel in which a student is inspired or um, uh, the, the young protagonist is inspired through writing. And at the end of the event, uh, or at the end of the semester, students are invited to community organize and market and put together a, a voice for change. So we would collaboratively select an artist who would come perform. And before the main feature, students were then invited to use a lot of their homework assignments and then perform those pieces on stage. So they would be, my students 
dance would initially be the the opening act, mm -hmm. and they would perform. And then our closing performer was the invited artist. Uh, we also integrate uh, Q and A with the performer. We also integrate uh, workshops and curriculum with the visiting performer or performers uh, for professional development and interaction with our students. And so when word had gotten gone around that this part-time professor <laughs> was doing all this work, <laughs> plus curriculum, plus being a, a student in the master's program. Uh, I believe it was one of my chairs in my department had nominated me for the award. And um, the turnout was I, I had won, and the acknowledgement was just the work I had been doing with social justice, uh, poetry, and curriculum in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it was a lot of work to, you know, bring all these, uh, you know, pieces together to kind of like do all these things that you were doing with the, not only with the speakers, but with the students, you know, like to put something like that and, and, and still being a student and still teaching. And it's like, wow, it's crazy. Like, did you have a life during that time? Or... <laughs> <laughs> I had no life. <laughs> I still don't, but... I mean, yeah, I would fly a lot of these folks. So I was booking plane tickets, booking hotels. I was their Uber, uh, <laughs> getting them lunch, making sure they're fed, uh, making sure my students feel comfortable in community organizing and performing the day up. So there was a multiplicity of roles that I was playing, and um, I was just real blessed. I was able to multitask as I could um, to make it happen for my students and for the campus. Um when when you come back to Calexico, do you feel that um um you know our youth here is um do you think they could be more involved in terms in terms of like you know politics and and and, and you know kind of like serving that community in that sense where they you know they know what's going on and and you know sure. what what do you yeah it, it's really hard for me to answer that <clears throat> uh, the simple fact is that I'm not engaging with the youth when I return to the Imperial Valley, I think that's been a calling that I need to kind of figure out, facilitate a way to be in communication with the youth of the Imperial Valley in Calexico. So I'm not able to kind of measure or answer whether the students are engaged. Um, I know I just did a reading um, with another fabulous poet. His name's uh, Paul Manuel Lopez who's also a poet local to the Imperial Valley, and we did a reading for San Diego State University down in Calexico. And it was a, I believe it was a Chicano, Chicana Studies focused course, and a couple English courses came in to listen. And a lot of our conversations were about how poetry or how art can establish a visibility for a people. And I recall me engaging with our youth, with our students, there and saying like where's the art where are the murals where are the art exhibits where are the art galleries where is the archiving of our histories and our ancestors so i can only speak from like a visual observation in calexico is that we're very limited in in the visibility of the arts that represent um our youth yeah uh, But aside from that, you know, I don't know the work that our educators down there are putting in mm. well, I mean, or the events that are happening. Because, I mean, I work at the high school, um, mm -hmm. I'm a computer tech there. And, you know, kind of like just mingling around with the kids. And I have a, a son who's a senior as well. Um, you know, I kind of feel like they don't really, um, they're not involved as much as, you know, with the community. Um, yeah. And just because I, I asked the same question to... Um, Roberto last week and yeah he said that yeah he felt that you know just the youth in general aren't as involved with them um, mm -hmm. and even with their with their um uh culture I feel like in, in general they're not you know really involved they're just distracted with other things maybe I don't know I don't know what you think but but yeah I feel like the, there's other things that they're you know distracted with that they don't really pay much attention to um keeping up with their culture and, and and the way that you know the politics in, in our country are kind of like you know going and, and affect affecting our our, our our culture so i don't know just something that i thought maybe you you might want to change i mean I no there's there's definitely some truth in that and just the observation of the students i get in my classrooms 
I think there's definitely this huge uh, distraction with technology and social media that capitalism is keeping our students occupied with that are kind of keeping them busy from what's really happening. And so I think social media and the internet and technology have done a really good job of keeping our youth busy and mm -hmm. distracted. Uh, and I think that's where education plays a huge role in giving them, giving them that level of wokeness of, you know, there's more to Facebook, mm -hmm. there's more to a like, you know. Um, <laughs> did you notice that your community has is housing or sheltering X amount of undocumented folks? Do you know... Um, you know, X, Y, and Z. When was the last time you read a newspaper, you know? Uh, so I definitely will agree that our, our youth are definitely very uh, distracted mm -hmm. and are, are forgetting to do a check-in with their community and how they can give back to their communities with their own talents and their, their own uh, abilities of, of what they can do and bring to the table. Yeah, and, and um, Roberto also says he's an artist and he likes painting murals and stuff like that. He did mention the, you know, the lack of art in our community. Um, yeah. And he did mention that he, if the city will be willing to like have a, a uh, like a place where they can do, um, you know, like a, uh, an office space where they can do murals on, on, on the walls, he would be willing to come down and, and, you know, teach the kids and maybe do some murals every so often. So um, I do have a, con a connection with the city manager. So I, I, I think I'm going to bring that up soon. And maybe you could even have a, you know, poetry reading and stuff like that. So, you know, I'll keep you posted. Maybe we Absolutely. can, can reach yep. some people. And then the other thing we need to think about is we need a space for our youth to be artists. So if they're where, I, I don't know, if, I haven't investigated if San Diego State and Calexico has an art gallery, but that's still a limitation of who has access. Mm -hmm. But do but what I've noticed up here regarding the arts, you know, in Vista, Oceanside, Barrio Logan, is that they always have a space for the youth to be artists and to speak mm -hmm. and, and, and a space of expression. And I think those are one of the things that I haven't investigated enough, but I think that is missing in the Imperial Valley, is a space for our youth to be safe and to create fearlessly and to have that presented on the walls, yeah. you know? Um, um, I think that's another thing. Being in collect being at the, uh, at the high school, um, there's an art teacher there, Eddie Schiffer. He's done murals for for the for the wall here or the gate the fence whatever you want to call yes. it yes yeah so those murals um he was part of you know the painting those murals there and mm -hmm. he's a teacher at the high school so he's, he's he's doing a lot of good work with the kids at the high school um Excellent. and i know that they have a after school they have a little art club and i think this weekend um they went over to they were in, in the ballpark and you know they were uh, visiting the art center there and stuff like that so i mean there is people that would be really interested so hopefully um we, we i can you know um you know be a vessel to maybe getting that in, into you know motion and and having Absolutely. that in place and, and hopefully you know you can come down and do some reading oh, stuff cool. like that yeah when um, y'all are ready let us know we'll be coming down <laughs> by the hundreds and helping helping Alexico make that happen so talking about reading um let's talk about your book Hey, you got a copy. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was keeping it a secret because I wanted to surprise you with it. That's uh, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, you have a book called How to Pull Apart the Earth. Yes. Um, and it's a collection of, how many, you know, um, around how many poems? Are in ooh, I would say maybe, ooh, I can't remember right now. It's somewhere in the 50s. Okay. 50 count, muscle minnows. And, um, you know, I've been doing some research on on the book and you know a lot of the poems are really um especially being somebody from calexico you know there's some some that you really relate to um especially like la llorona i used mm -hmm. to live right next to the, to the canal so la llorona was a big thing to us <laughs> growing up absolutely <laughs> um and then i think one of my favorites is the uh when my mom gave me the chancla for letting Andrew Jackson escape out the window. Yeah, <laughs> especially now, right now that it's 110, you know, it's it's really relatable. Um, so, yeah. can, what can you tell us about your 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 book? Sure. Uh, so I'm really excited uh, to. Well, I announced it on social media, but uh, How to Pull Apart the Earth just won the San Diego Book Award, so it's been recognized as a winner for the San Diego Book Awards. Uh, we also just got the announcement today that we are a winning finalist in the international. Uh, book awards. Mm -hmm. Congratulations uh, we, on those two. 
Thank you so much. And I always just tell, uh, I always tell my press, like, this is not an individual win. This is like a win for our people in our city. Um, as many of the poems and the prose uh, narrative poems that are archived in the book are really about the representation of like our, our familia and our cultura and the borderlands of the Imperial Valley. And again, uh, who gets stuck along those lines and who has access to the American dream and what the American dream looks like um, and so forth. And so uh, the book is essentially manifested when I was doing my master's program. The What is required during your master's program or in, in your MFA is that you work essentially on a manuscript, which is a book of a book or a collection of poetry. And so when I had finished my master's, I remember telling uh, my professors, you know, I don't have a book yet. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable that I've completed a book, but there were a solid amount of poems that I had felt proud of. And so after I had finished my master's, then I had found a community of folks where I was able to continue uh, to investigate uh, my homeland, the Imperial Valley, continue to do my readings and my research and producing more work and ca uh, capturing a lot of the happenings uh, in the politics of uh, immigration um, and being a migrant and being a witness to those things. And so the poems continue to collect and collect until I felt comfortable that we had I had a, a potential collection here for publication. Uh, the book was submitted uh, to a manuscript contest for a press called Write Bloody. Um, I was a finalist for, I was the top 10 under the finalist, but I didn't get the book deal. And then there was another press in uh, Los Angeles called Not a Cult, and they're fabulous, where they had a competition open. So I said, why not? Submitted, made final round. Uh, then I ended up winning the contest, so I got a book deal with them, um, and the book was released in November of 2018. Uh, we had a big fiesta here in Oceanside at an art, art gallery uh, called Link Soul, and so we put a lot of, uh, we had a call for art from uh, Latinx, Chicanx artists, uh, where we raised funds uh, to support undocumented uh, students and scholarships. Um, as well as selling the book there and providing a percent of that back to that scholarship. And so the book essentially, the cover art also real quick, was designed by an amazing artist here in Oceanside. His name is Juan Charlie Bees. Uh, he's a Latino artist who essentially uh, goes to Oaxaca every, every so often during the summer, and he would study a lot of the art or the observations he had to make and he would take a uh, rubber some I can't remember the name of the, the material he uses but it's like a rubber material and he would hand carve stamps out of the images he would capture and it was very uh, magical surrealism uh, 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 mystical these characters with masks that would tell stories and so when he had his first art show in Vista I had seen an essential print that he had made. It was uh, originally a calavera looking under the ground. And I, I knew immediately when I saw the piece, I had bought the piece. And then I said, I need this to manifest into uh, my potential book cover. And so he handled the, the cover, the image uh, on the cover, on the back cover. And there is a collection of, I think, four images in the book that he also designed that kind of capture some kind of foreshadowing to each unit within the book. Mm -hmm. And the title, what is it? Like, how did you come up with the title? Sure. Um, so how, how to pull apart the earth again, uh, when I spoke earlier about uh, being really obsessed with breaking apart the earth and attempting to make growth in a piece of land that essentially is dead um, and has no potential to uh, produce like harvest and so forth. So um, I think there's a multiplicity of meaning behind the title, but with the idea of first starting with the examination of poems that were taking place in a landscape such as the Imperial Valley, where uh, we are known for our, our agriculture, uh, but also acknowledging the folks that grow and pick uh, the produce yeah. of our land, um, acknowledging the folks who are crossing the border and, um, and, and trying to access the American dream and those who get it and those that don't. Um, 
acknowledging that we have a cemetery where John Doe's are buried there for uh, a number of folks that are undocumented. And so how to pull apart the earth was this kind of examination of not just the literal landscape of the Imperial Valley, but also identity and intersectionality. Um, the, the cover essentially is kind of its own version of almost like Alice in Wonderland, the rabbit that goes down the rabbit hole and Alice chases after and in that journey she's growing and shrinking and gets in trouble and denies motherhood um, and tries to find the longing but is always othered. And so I wanted to bring in my own like Chicana, Latina, Latinx version of my own Alice in Wonderland where we must unpack our origins, mm -hmm. um, whether how messy or exciting they are, and to tell the stories that are hidden beneath the surface and that exploration. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, I was, I was, I've been reading through some of the poems and some of them, um, like, kind of like, like a lot of po poetry, it's kind of like, you know, you have to have that sense of... Uh, but some of them are like really like you know like what are you reading my mind like because it's like <laughs> it's like so calexico i mean the calexico poem is like you know i think like 99 percent of the calexico people that grew up here will mm. like identify with it because it's you know it's such a you know detailed and 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 and, and um i don't know it's it's it hits home you know right um yeah. and you. and oh and, and i saw the the video i didn't know you had made um uh, a video for that poem and it's in and it's really i really liked it i really liked it a lot um how, how so you said um it was through your masters that you kind of like acquired all these poems and to put on into the book mm -hmm. were there were there anything any of them that you kind of left out that you were like well maybe this one for another book or or sure. uh absolutely when finishing my masters i only had like the skeleton of the book i think there were a lot of poems that i wrote that didn't make it in the book um, uh, when you you know when you put a collection of, of poetry together, um, there, there's a story to be told, and some poems were missing that needed to be told, and some poems felt redundant or didn't go with the fluidity of the of the story that was being told. Right. So those are kind of the decisions you make as an artist or as a poet or as a as a writer when putting a collection together is like sacrificing the babies that are aren't going to push um, the story forward or the character development forward. Um, so there are definitely poems that were added, a lot of poems that were added, and poems that didn't make it in the collection. And what, what does your family say about the book? What, what are their feelings and thoughts about it? Sure. Um, I think along the lines of, <laughs> of what you had said earlier is that, you know, some of the poems you definitely have to have uh, or not have be familiar with the, the poetic voice of understanding that particular cadence or the particular language um, that is uh, birthed in, in some of these pieces. And some of, more, some of the poems are more accessible. They're more prose, uh, story, um, um, understanding, or one can understand them mm -hmm. through a more narrative perspective. And so I think essentially some of the poems... Uh, my parents were like, oh, you know, I understand this part. It's cute. Um, and then they'll have more of a, a clear understanding of the more narrative-driven poems where they're like, wow, I understand this. I remember this this particular memory. Um, I'm trying to think of, other, like, other comments they've made. Um, yeah, I mean, essentially the response with my parents have been super supportive I was, I was a closeted poet for a very long time, and so my mother had to sneak up to a poetry event to witness uh, me share poetry, and that was kind of the discovery that I did this thing. Yeah. My mother drove from Calexico to San Diego to see me at a competition, and she was in the audience hiding. Um, so from then on, I knew my parents were very supportive, but there's definitely a lot of dialogue that happens behind the scenes when writing about, you know, my family, um, our, our cultura and, and making sure that they feel comfortable with those poems being released into the world. Uh, my family on a larger scale are super supportive and um, I'm, I'm glad to just have that support. Um, you talk about the cadence and that was something I, I kind of wanted to ask you um, yeah. because um, I, I've done stand up like a couple of times and, uh -huh. and even, even for stand up, it's kind of like there's a pace as to how you tell your joke. 
Yeah. Um, you know, there's this because you know, essentially stand up is just like you're exa- over exaggerating stories or you know experiences, right? So, um, like, how do you how do you um, like come up with the cadence? Like, what's the like in, in a poem? Like, how do you feel like this is how is it like a rhythm thing, kind of like a song or? I think for every artist, it's very different on how they've evolved and finding a voice. Uh, just speaking from my perspective, I knew I had found a voice or like the rhythm or the way I wanted to speak coming out of a background in performance poetry where you are scored. And so you needed to, mm-hmm. to have your confidence in your voice where you can tell the story and convince five random judges that your story is important. And so what that means is you need to do like the roller coaster examination of when you're telling a story, when conflict comes in, when emotion comes in, when resolution comes in, and when you're doing that mapping, your voice can also play a role in helping mapping or intensifying or emotionally engaging an audience and telling a story. Um, A lot of times when I do book readings, and I'm reading a poem, you know, the, the poem's going to have my body respond to what is being shared at that moment. So if it's a poem about joy, I'll be so happy about it. If it's a poem about, you know, something that ain't so pretty from my childhood, um, the voice is going to be a little different, but always me, uh, you know. And so uh, music plays a huge role, too. And so I listened to a lot of Kendrick Lamar <laughs> mm. uh, when I was writing this book, um, and just like listening to how musicians and artists um, rhythmically use language to create sound because sound is also another tool or device to kind of engage an audience in in listening Mm -hmm. and then that's through the musicality of what you can create through sound yeah um and because yeah like you were saying like it, it 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 all comes down to like uh the type of poem you're reading because like yeah you can i was looking at some of your readings and 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 you know you can tell when it's a a poem when you're like angry or trying to express some anger you know um and and yeah i kind of like now that you like kind of like explain a little bit you know i kind of i kind of get it um so you know trying to wrap it up a little bit because we're almost at at an hour um um where do you see yourself in like five or ten years like what's your your ultimate goal five or ten years or like let's say five years to narrow it down to a um five or ten years i mean i've always been a you know whatever i say now may change but i'm always a dreamer and then always encouraged to dream bigger than the essential thought and so um, my my dream right now to continue in the next five years is uh, to continue using my platform as an educator to transform the lives of my students. Um, I think right now there's a lot of political and social chaos happening, uh, a lot of uh, media and pop culture that is instilling in our students on how they should navigate through the world. And so I think in five years is just continuing to develop and grow as an educator where I can uh, provide students with a sense of empowerment, uh, continuing being an artist, uh, wherever that, whatever that journey or that calling looks like. So if it's writing more poems, writing more poems, if it's writing uh, stories or fiction or creating a comic strip, I mean, I don't know, uh, but I'm also uh, really excited to see where art is going to take me and excited to continue to travel and visit different schools and communities that want to hear this book and um, continuing to create relations and working with the community and community organizing um, and creating more platforms for folks that need that that space to do so. Cool, cool. Um, well, a lot of kids just graduated or graduating this Friday. Calexico High School is graduating this Friday. Hey, um, and, and I think it's, a, you know, you're a good example of, you know, how, um, you know, the sky's the limit. Um, mm-hmm. I think you've you have achieved so much and, you know, so little time. Like, comp- like compared to the people, like, this will take them, you know, a, a lot of time, like, to get a book out there. 
um, you know, be be uh, recognized in so many places that, um, you know, I think you're a good example for our community, you know, coming from coming from the from our community, from Imperial Valley, from Calexico um, and writing about, you know, the things we we've experienced. I think it's a, an awesome, um, you know, uh, example to to all these young students going out to the real world um the next the next couple of months so um i want to thank you for for um for being here um i was super excited to talk to you because I, I know that uh we would talk for almost an hour and not even feel feel it <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> um, yeah you said that i was gonna go back fast and, and, and it did huh you didn't think it yeah. was it does um it does when you're having fun so thank you so much um anything else that you would like to add that i didn't you know touch touch upon Oh, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, said thank you so much uh, for doing what you do. It's so important that you're archiving uh, the artistry that exists. Uh, it's been really exciting to see the episodes you have and the people that are coming out of the Imperial Valley and killing it and doing a lot of good work. Um, I always just tell folks in anything and everything I do that please know whoever's listening or yourself will say that I am always a forever resource to our people in the Imperial Valley. Um, I want to hear your stories. I want to collaborate. Uh, please feel free to follow me on Instagram. Uh, my user is uh, Carla with a K, Flaca with a K, 13. Uh, my website is, is carlacordero.com. <laughs> uh, so anytime you need access or resources, please know I am always here. Even though I'm two and a half hours away, I will drag two and a half hours uh, to help anybody and everybody with what they need uh, support in. And I mean, you don't even have to drive. You can always do this kind of thing, you know. This is true. We can always use technology. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. I'm done with that. <laughs> All right, Carla. Thank you so much once again. Uh, you know, I'm I'm super grateful that you took this time. I, I bet you're busy, and and um, I bet you were excited yesterday that the Warriors won. Um, <laughs> hey, one point. <laughs> we'll be back Thursday. <laughs> so um, yeah, thank you so much. Like I said once again, um, and 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 in the future, um. Just like you, you said, um, you can use me as a resource for, for anything. Um, use my podcast for anything. Um, I'm awesome. here. Thank you, Jose. Thank you so much. No, thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. All right. Bye.